You know, the ocean's a sound system for animals, and we humans, only in the last couple hundred years, or maybe in the last hundred years, really, in the most recent industrialization, have unwittingly introduced a new form of pollution, which is sound. And it's having negative impacts, it's causing distress in certain marine mammal species. We have no idea what it's doing to all the fish and the shrimp and all that. Where do we go? How do we manage this? And I've got some ideas, but I want to know what you guys think too. Welcome everybody to The Sea Has Many Voices, a continuation of our conversation with composer, musician, uh, John Powell, and Simone Bowen Pickering, scientist uh, studying underwater sound. You know, and the purpose of this podcast is it recognizes that humanity and the ocean basically share the same fate. As goes the ocean, so will go humanity. And the reason we titled it after T.S. Eliot's poem, The Sea Has Many Voices, is that we wanted to bring all voices to the table uh, that have an ocean, you know, interest or relationship. So I thank the two of you for your participating in this. Um, Simone, you've, you're a scientist like me, uh, studying a very important aspect of the ocean, sound pollution. And uh, John, you're a humanitarian, uh, intellectual, uh, ocean-loving guy who's, who's engaged many millions and gazillions of people through your creative art in, in music. And that's been very helpful to me in trying to understand this conversation about animals and sound in the ocean. And we were talking in the last segment about how animals might communicate. It's my position that if we want to think about dolphins and whales talking or having intelligence, and they do have very large cerebral cortexes, there is some science around us allowing us to have these kind of speculations. And the way you measure cerebral cortex is you measure it as a, um, its cubic centimeters of cerebral cortex per cubic uh, kilogram of body. There's a way that you can do it. And we have the highest ratio, except for one dolphin species, Terceops truncatus. The uh, bottlenose dolphin, the one from Flipper, has a slightly higher one. I think it's 240 to 230 or something like that. So, and the cerebral cortex of the three parts of the brain is the one that we know in us anyway is associated with higher thought. It's higher, it's planning, it's anticipating the future. It's the things that we recognize as making us human. So there is reason to think about this. And I want to convey another story about my experience with dolphins and another time where there was communication going on. I was coming in one day in our skiff from studying the Hector's dolphins in New Zealand. And at the end of the long day, you know what it's like, Simone, you're kind of tired, you want to get home. But we'd crank the skiff up and the dolphins would often come over and, you know, have fun in the bow of the boat because they like the speed of a boat going through the water, they ride the pressure wave. And it was kind of a fun way to end the day, and the dolphins would often start to jump, and this particular species can get up like two, three meters in the air on a single jump. And I was going along, and this dolphin jumped way up in the air, and I was looking up at him, and then he was looking down at me, and both of us realized that because of the geometry, once the dolphin got out of the water, he stopped making forward motion, <laughs> but the boat was still going forward. And he could see that there was a problem, <laughs> that he was going to maybe fall in the boat. And I could see there was a problem. So he was computing this at the same time that I was. And he, to rectify it, he started kicking in the air. <laughs> he thought he was going to like kick his way over you know, out of the line of the boat. And I immediately veered the boat to the side. 
and he slipped into the water with like an inch of clearance by the gunnels of the boat. I mean, he almost ended up in the boat. But there was a moment there where the dolphin was like doing the calculus or the geometry of this emerging problem. He was trying to solve for it fruitlessly in the air, kicking, you know, he just had the instinct to kick. It wasn't going to go anywhere. And then I, I made a motion um, to, to avoid it. But there was communication. There was quite a bit of an analysis going on there in, in the, two, the two species. So what I want to do now in this segment is kind of bring us to ground a little bit here. You know, the ocean's a sound system for animals. And we humans, only in the last couple hundred years, or maybe in the last hundred years, really, in the most recent industrialization, have unwittingly introduced a new form of pollution, which is sound. And it's having negative impacts, it's causing distress in certain marine mammal species. We have no idea what it's doing to all the fish and the shrimp and all that. Where do we go? How do we manage this? And I've got some ideas, but I want to know what you guys think too. There's um, some, some good evidence that even the simplest organisms like uh, larval stages of oysters and, and mussels and such, they can differentiate um, between the, the, the correct settlement and the incorrect settlement for their species via sound. So they use sound cues to um, find their appropriate habitat where they want to settle down from free-swimming larvae. And the same goes for uh, reef fish larvae. They're attracted by reef sounds and so they swim towards Oh, so it's like reef sounds. they learn to understand if there's a crashing wave here, it'll bounce off the coast there and I want to be in between those two places, is that? No, I think it's probably more the sum of all the sounds that are being emitted within the reef environment. So okay. there's uh, fish producing sounds, there is uh, snapping shrimp producing sounds, and probably then there's also the waves. And so it's, it's just the, the, the symphony the of those of yeah. sounds that are, are um, the right sound to go to. And so um, in talking about um, sound pollution, you have what's called masking, right? One sound is drowning out another sound. And so if you are masking out that sound from the optimal habitat, the animals are not going to find their way around. So you're reducing ultimately what we call the communication range. The distances over which the animals can hear those sounds are getting smaller and smaller until they're so small that they're non-existent ultimately because the sound is so loud that everything is just drowned out. Wow. We were talking a bit earlier about this and, and it, <clears throat> the crazy thing is, is if you think of yourself, I know you go a lot to clubs, Oh, yeah. You go yeah. heavy clubbing. I do. In fact, EDM I just got back. Like I was out all night, yeah. Okay, so you have music <laughs> at a level which is just, just normally never, ever listened to. Have you ever tried to have a conversation with somebody? It, it's I, very hard. You change how you speak, not only the physiology, as you were saying. You, you, you produce a whole bunch of different things. You have to change your body position. You have to mm -hmm. change your body movement. You have to um, actually then change the subject matters you talk about because you cannot have certain conversations under those circumstances. So, you know, somebody in a club, if you have to live in a club all the time, I'm sure it changes the way you actually live. And I think this is one of the reasons why drugs come into it as well, because it helps you be in that environment. It makes much more sense. <laughs> it helps you de-stress from the stress of the club. <laughs> well, before you leave that, though, I heard a theory that they do that in order for men and women to get closer to each other. 
in the clubs. Oh, in the clubs. Well, that's the point of it, hmm. is to make men and women get close to each other because they have to talk. That's what I've been missing. <laughs> I didn't realize. That's the trick, John. <laughs> it's so loud in there, you can't have a conversation. Well, you've got to get close. Oh, okay, well, I don't know. I've never understood. No, I'm, seriously, I've never understood it either. It's, it's, yeah, and that's a really interesting way to look at it. But imagine trying to live in a club yeah. and have conversations in, yeah. in a club. It would, be, it would be terrible. That actually is a term in biology, too, that it's the cocktail party effect. And so what you have is that, that you have to speak louder. And with it, as you speak louder, the frequency of your voice goes up. So you speak with a higher pitch because you can't produce. So it, that's just a, a, a physics thing. You cannot produce a loud sound with a low frequency. So now for the animals in the ocean, they often show, and I think it goes the same for, for people, um, for males, the lower the voices, the more attractive the male. Well, there's science about that. Yeah. There's science about that. And so, women and like, it's no women different. like deep voices. And it's no different in the ocean. And so now here's this whale who wants to be attractive, but he also needs to be heard over the noise. And then there's another confounding aspect um, that, and all of these things have kind of been inferred, and it's hard to actually really test them properly. But um, blue whales have been um, drastically reduced during whaling, right? And so. In order for them to find a male, they have to cover really long distances at times. And so over the years, over the past 50 years, it turns out that blue whales have been recovering slowly. And their, um, the frequency over which, uh, the, the, the frequency of their signals have been slowly going down. And just now, they're kind of starting to level out a little oh. bit. And so the idea is, for one, there's more and more large males that are capable of producing those low-frequency sounds. Ooh, big guys, yeah. And densities have gone up. So you don't have to go quite as far anymore to find your mate. And so there's those intricacies about your, your, how, how attractive you might sound and um, what kind of distances and noise environments you have to oh, cover. This is, this is great. Here's a good one for you, John. If you, you probably know this already, but for our listeners, do you know what secondary sexual characteristics are? No, I don't. They are characteristics that you have to make you male or female that are not essential to reproduction. Oh. They're secondary sexual characteristics. So the deep voice of a male well, the difference in voices between men and women are a secondary sexual characteristic. In other words, if you didn't have it, you could still reproduce. Enlarged breasts on women are a secondary sexual characteristic. They don't have to be larger, but they've gotten that way. Beards on men are a secondary sexual characteristic, so you can probably evolved, I'm guessing, in the early tribal stage of our species so that you could identify the sex of a person across a field. If you were a woman, you'd want to know, either run or or not, or if you were a guy, you'd want to know, I'm going to fight or not. You know, there'd be advantages to detecting it at, at range. So, so playing a saxophone is a secondary sexual characteristic. It, it, it could be. <laughs> <laughs> what, it's a guy, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you can have a lot of fun with that one. I didn't know there was a cocktail party effect in biology. That's a good one. And so it's been shown now for multiple species that they tend to have um, higher intensity sound, higher frequencies, longer duration signals to compensate for periods that are masked 
or a higher repetition rate of the same signal to make sure that at least one of them are going to come through. Is, that, is that a form of very short-term evolution that we're seeing yes. there? Yes, or oh. adaptation. I don't know if I'd call it evolution quite yet. If we only could see or understand what's happening there like we can on land, we would have never let things get to where they are. Just And now sound is just, you know, you can talk about that when it comes to overfishing. You can talk about that when it comes to destroying the bottom from fishing trawls, a variety of things. Now I'm hearing about sound. You know, it's like if we were polluting the atmosphere with all this noise all the time, we probably would never let it happen <laughs> because we'd hear it and we'd be aware of it. But because it's happening underneath the waves in this opaque, seemingly serene place, we've let it go unabated. What, so are you involved in the policy world at all, Some, Simone? Yeah. Like, so mm -hmm. what are we going to do? I think there are a few um, avenues. So for one, the thing that I'm involved in, with um, is the, the seal bomb topic. And so we're currently questioning whether that ought to be uh, an allowed deterrent or if that just should... Um, if we shouldn't just find a different deterrent solution, which there are some, and so that is in, that is one easy thing to regulate. Then for shipping, people are talking about um, quieting ships, and there's different ways. For one, um, you can have uh, a certain propeller that you know doesn't have quite as much of a cavitation noise. Um, you can have insulations of the ships in a certain way that the motor sounds don't uh, propagate out as much. Or, and that that's I find highly interesting, since we also want to move away from carbon uh, emission and fossil fuels to go into, um, say, hydrogen fueled ships or, or even... Electric. Uh, electric. Well, that is then turned into an electric motor, and so right. that would be a super quiet um, solution shipping and there are some models so Scripps um, is actually looking into that right now for uh, one ship in our fleet as a potential. I know the the Dan Sten Olson who runs Stena owns Stena Shipping one of the big shipping companies in the world it's a really great friend of mine that I've known he has a vision for his company and his executives do that in the future the ocean will be better because their ships went through it. <laughs> That's kind of their vision. Now, they know they have a long way to go in terms of how do they realize that. But one of the ideas they have is to one day electrify uh, shipping, which isn't that unreasonable, really, because no, you, can, you can load up as much weight as you want on a ship because you can just build a little bit bigger hull. And so that's a solution path. And as long as you load the batteries with renewable energy somehow, mm -hmm. there, there, there is where we err often with battery technology. We load it... You can't load batteries from a coal-fired right. uh, fuel plant and think you're doing the right thing. It's got to be a closed system. So, John, do you, in your work, embed social messaging or cause-related thing? I mean, you do a lot with animals and the, and the environment through some of your programming. And uh, I mean, one of the things that has been hard for me is, that, you know, I'm, I love working in Hollywood. It's a very creative place, but there's a lot of films made that I don't really like the, you know, the the pernicious nature of what they are. And for me, it's particularly anything that has a um, celebration of a oh. warrior. So I, I try and avoid anything that... That's, what, that's right. That's yeah. why your movie list looks so great. Because you, you're... Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, there's certain films I, I've done that I was... I mean, you could say that Born Identity, you know, is a warrior, but he's, he's, a, he's a warrior. He 
who'd forgotten that he was taught that way. And, and it, so he was basically a victim. It's mm. like a, a victim of a system. That's what that story I felt was. So even though he was being attacked and he could fight back, he was fighting back autonomically almost. Right. And so it wasn't about the celebration of being the warrior. It was actually, it was just a picture of a society where, uh, you know, the warrior instinct in him had been developed and even he wanted to be left alone, but, you know, find out who he was and what had happened to him and nobody would. Um, you know, there's a lot of films out there where it really is just... If you fight, you will win everything, and that's how you get success. Um, there's a lot of Marvel films like that. They always, even even the smartest ones, they always end up with everybody is a, in a fist fight. Yeah. And I really have a problem with that. It's like, why a fist fight? And you know, it, these are all gods and and in you know improbably perfect beings who are just beating each other senseless. And the truth of it is, and I'm sure Marvel will, will, would hate me for saying that, but it is because that's it's a behavior that children respond to, which is that, you know, when you're playing the games of the stories you see in these things, that kind of physical fighting, you know, is much more interesting than, you know, mental fighting or, or situational fighting or, you know, destructive and, and devastatingly terrible warfare mm -hmm. or fighting, which is really, you know, I mean, so I've done... I've done lots of children's films, yeah, because they, but I also did United 93, which was, uh, you know, a devastatingly terrible piece of violence. It was documentary. Uh, yeah, so it was almost a documentary. Yeah. And so I tend to try and find the films where I don't have to sort of sell that. I, f I found that very difficult at a certain point. You are, when you're writing music, you're helping manipulate people, yeah. <laughs> their emotions. So should you help manipulate them towards something that you really don't think is a good idea for people? Or should you try and do it for good? I mean, I did Happy Feet. And the great thing about Happy Feet was that it was a story where they had taken a nature's behavior. By the way, I love that, that, that <laughs> your work on that movie. Thank you. That was a great. But it was, it was a lovely idea. I remember the first thing I had pitched to me was, okay, so penguins mate and they all have unique sounds as you were saying about this they have unique squawks that they they can find each other what if those unique squawks were squawks were their their love songs and then we looked at the 20th century the second half of the 20th century and found as many love songs as we could and then we tried to apply that to every character so a character would have a, a love song and then it becomes a, a obviously an anthropomorphized picture of, of yeah. penguin colonies but you then get to tell a story on top of something that people want find charming. You get to tell the story of an outsider. You get somebody who can't sing in a society of singers, but he can dance. You know, so how do you fit that in? So that, that's why those kind of stories work for people. You can find them. But when they are really connected with nature, I mean, I, I liked Kung Fu Panda because it was in a world that I didn't really approve of. Kung Fu, everybody, martial arts and things. And he was clearly not the ideal fighter. He had a, I mean, his physical size and the fact he was soft and the, and in the end, the story, not giving it away, is that <laughs> basically his inabilities to be a warrior is what actually allowed him to, you know, win. And so I, I find those stories, if I can find the core of a story that has at least some sort of 
less pernicious or actually good for it's us. Great, it's a great use of that word pernicious. That's a hard word to use. But, but, I, it's but the other thing I have done, and, and sometimes, is that I do try and like, uh, you know, I remember on, on Dragons 3, the hidden world, we, the one we did this, is early on in, in the part of the conversations was, was how we have the power to be able to sell an idea to huge parts of the communities. And, and one of the things I'd been so distressed about was China, the, you know, the Asia and China's, you know, increased and continuous use of, of ivory and, and, you mm. know, and rhino horn and all this kind of stupid stuff that really they don't need, but it's ingrained in the society. So you've got a whole new society coming up. So if you make stories that can put, and number two and number three have this in it, which is, put as a villain people who collect rare yeah. rare things from animals and, that, and in that particular case it was rare dragons rare you know seeing these dragons as you know as, as, as equivalencies to some of the the animals that in the in the Asian market you know are used I, I mean I was very keen for them to you know put that in there I mean it's kind of subtle but it, I think it, if kids are growing up with messages where they're constantly seeing people um, stealing animals and, and smuggling animals and gaining access to animals purely for something that seems very unnecessary because that's what the story is. You're going to grow generations of people who are going to overturn a, you know, the possible sort of normalcy of, of, of a culture that, that still sees that as being okay. Well, you know, you're, you're, you're so spot on. It's, it's very similar to the philosophy behind this podcast, you know, is that you've got to keep people engaged. So you don't want to have it be preachy or like school, right? So we try to create a spirit of conversation and interest here uh, for the audience. But then at the end of the day, there is a message here. I mean, we are in deep doo-doo on this planet right now. And I, I've just, in the last year, I mean, I've been working my whole life in this area, but I'm really worried. You know, the climate signal is happening so fast. You know, we're basically sending ourselves back to a Jurassic climate and 5,000 times faster than the original Jurassic arrived. And it's that speed of change. It's just we're so complacent. And to do what your approach is, you know, you, it doesn't do any good if your message isn't getting to anybody. So you got to find a topic matter like you have with movies that kids and other people like, and then you have some, I like the way, I didn't, never knew that about you, John, that you have a selection process where you encourage the, the messaging that you believe will be transformative or at least supportive of the right path. And that, that's really smart. And same with this podcast, I like to have people have, enjoy themselves listening, but then at the end of the day, I want them to walk away with some information that might help change the, the course of how we're behaving on this planet. Well, it's been very interesting for me, I think, meeting Simone, and, and we looked through a lot before we started. We looked yeah. through a lot of sort of examples of the things she's recording in the sea, you know, and I'm, I'm seeing the intricacy of the sounds that are being made by so many animals, you know, absolutely high complexity and, and variety. It's things you never knew, right? No, so maybe it'll help you in your... Things making way higher sounds than I would have think, more rhythmical sounds or stranger sounds than you would think. But also then we were looking at some of the other, and I'm realizing that the sea is this huge resonant body mm -hmm. because of the very nature of the physics of water. And everybody in there, and these animals, are communicating as much as we are. And, but they're having to, they're putting up with a club is, has opened up yeah. underneath. 
and there's a constant dinner party going, uh, no, a, a cocktail party going on. And, and as somebody who I've, I lost because of snare drums, I lost a certain frequency in my, in my <laughs> hearing that makes voices hard to hear when there's white noise around. Mm. So, and I'm always, and I lip read more now at, in, 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 you know, and is that my evolution to try and, to try and get over the fact that I exist in a noisy environment? I mean, what the hell is going to happen for all these? Is, can adaptation allow me, me to survive? I mean, or obviously I have the choice to not go to the party. If, if you're <laughs> living in the party and it's so noisy you can't, you can't actually communicate. I mean, it, it's fascinating to ask myself, you know, what is the communication of music? What is the communication of language? And, in, and then it keeps going. There's so many different pieces of communication that are happening on in the sea. And they all are much more functional than the ones that the, we think there of. Is, there is quite a bit of science around adaptation, behavioral adaptation within one's lifetime to changes in your sensory system. Now, there's a guy that's blind who's uh, quite famous as being able to develop echolocation, quite remarkable echolocation. I mean, you, they, you see pictures of this guy making clicking sounds with his mouth, and he can drive a bicycle through uh, cones. I mean, he, he can really, wow. and he's, because he lost sight, his hearing and his signal processing, he was able to up the, up the ante quite a bit there. He's quite famous, you can Google him online and, and find that, but like you've done yourself, you've done some lip reading, and I'm also, I've also got the hearing loss from all my diving. I've got occluded ears from all the time I've spent in cold water, so, but I'll try the, I'll try the lip reading. <laughs> I, I, Tried the echolocation, doesn't work for me, but <laughs> you know, I, uh, I really appreciate that. I feel like I'm with kindred spirits here, and uh, hopefully, people walk away with learning something. And also, let's get this system right on this planet. You know, we've tinkered with it so much through humanity's reign, and there's no stopping us. So let's finish the job. Let's 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 understand the problems we've created and use the same brain that created the problems to manage those problems and get us out of it. And I think you've enlightened me on sound. Uh, today and what's going on there and we'll put more on our website and you know like to have you back on the show sometime if you would be willing yeah absolutely. Simone and uh, John thank you for sharing this journey with me today and also sharing uh, some of the things that that you do thank you both and uh, you know keep on keeping on as my good friend Sylvia Earl says onward and downward <laughs> all right thanks thanks everybody pleasure